Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to the American Dream Podcast. I'm excited to be joined by Samawa Arenas for this episode. Samawa is the founder and CEO of Flowetic, a brand marketing consultancy focused on helping leaders of mission-driven organizations scale and achieve impact through smart, practical brand marketing. Not to mention that Samawa is also a five-time Emmy Award winner. Samawa defines her ethos as keep things simple, focus and honest, be kind, always thrive on building long lasting relationships and helping good people and organizations. Doing good succeeds through the power of collaboration. So what does this look like in practice and why does it matter? We're going to find out on this episode. Welcome, Samawa. Bienvenida. Hola, Elias. Gracias. Really happy to be here with you. And it's been a while since we had a chance to spend time together. So I'm excited for this conversation with you. Yeah, no, it's been fun getting to know you here in the Boston community and the Latino community. Tamawa is from Venezuela, right? And she's an amazing entrepreneur that she's very true to her own heart and her instincts. And so let's find out about what's in there. What are those instincts like? Tell us a little bit about, so you're the CEO of Floetic. So I'd love to meet Latina immigrant woman CEO but tell us a little bit of how this started, right? Where does this entrepreneurial journey begin? Is it in the United States or is it in Venezuela? You know, I would say that my entrepreneurial spirit started when I was in high school selling bracelets and having my brother be my salesperson and building a little, you know, enterprise back then. But, you know, I came to Boston about 30 years ago to go to grad school, thinking that I would come, get my degree, go back to Venezuela and continue my career. I was working as a programming director for a cable network. But once I got here, I realized that there were so many opportunities in the U.S. and the World Wide Web at the time, that's what the internet was called, was just really taking off. And I was really intrigued. And I thought, I can't go back right now. I just want to understand what this is all about. Like, what is this World Wide Web? What does it mean, given my background in communication? So Never planned to stay here, but that's how it happened. And I applied for a number of jobs after I graduated from my master's program, thinking, I'm cool. People will hire me. I'm bilingual. I know my work, but nobody did. So I ended up just really turning into an entrepreneur and tapping into that you know, teenager who was selling bracelets back in Venezuela when she was in high school. That's amazing. And it's kind of like every journey is different, right? I worked for 10 years as full time, right? And then I felt like I had to do it. You had no choice. So it's really good to see the different things that we have to pay attention that could lead us down the path of our lives, you know? What kind of bracelets were there? You know, those like really hippie, like bracelets that you would weave and add little beads. There you go. Exactly those. I can't remember how to make them now, but I made hundreds of those back in the day. Oh, so you were, you, were the you were the maker. I was making them. I was weaving them and give my brother a stash and he would sell them at, the, you know, at his school. So that's how we did it. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I used to make them and you want to make them really tight or really loose, and like the patterns and the diagonals and... And like, yeah, uh, there was yeah. also somewhere like more like the lana, the wool ones, 
that had the names. It was like they would go across and then you could make the letters. There was like a little plastic thing inside. Oh, that was too sophisticated for me. Like this was a very long time ago. I didn't get that sophisticated. I didn't get sophisticated. I did some of those, but uh, my entrepreneurial, I sold mangoes. So you were more advanced than me. I just like, I cut the mangoes from the tree and I just sold them in the neighborhood. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's how I started with, you know, before computers. So you came to study, what was the situation in Venezuela? And how does that compare to now? Well, it was the time it was 1994. So going back 30 years, that's a long time. And things were just starting to shift. Government was shifting and things were pretty stable. So in my view, I had a really good job. I thought I'll do my degree, come back and continue in that career. But when I graduated, and like I said, I was curious about the internet and what that you know could lead to, I decided that I had to stay and explore it more just to get to know what the opportunities were. And in hindsight, was the right thing because after all these years, Venezuela's economy has collapsed and the situation there is really difficult. And my parents are still there, both of my mom and dad and my sister and my nephew live in Venezuela. So now that I live here, I've been able to help and support my family from afar. Had I gone back, I don't think I would have had the opportunities to thrive the way I've been able to thrive and and then be a support system for them. So, you know, it was the right decision at the right time, even though it meant living away from my family and just establishing myself here in the U.S. Yeah, I think that that's a very powerful thing. In, in my case, I felt like I came here and I had no ties back to my country, right? I disconnected and never went back. I came in 1993, December 5th, I think it was. And I think that you have that, right? That's something that we as immigrants have to appreciate every single aspect of our lives because that's what molds us or gives us the energy. And you, all this time having your family there must ground you and must give you such a motivation. I was talking to a young Latina yesterday that's just trying to figure out whether to go in the entrepreneurial route. And she was like, well, it might kill me. It might not be for everybody. And I said, stop it. Like, what about our immigrant parents? What about the first generations? What are those people that had to like clean the offices or pick the fruit in the field? Like, we got to go. We got to go. This is not going to kill us, right? And so you have your family reminding you how tough it is back home, right? Yeah. And being an entrepreneur is like, you know, jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and figuring it out as you go. And, you know, you just got to take the leap and take a leap of faith and, and believe that you can do it and not be cocky about it, but just be you know confident that you can strive when you think about all the people around you that you can tap in for support. Yeah, I know. I think speaking of, I like that. And I think I've done that, but usually we talk about, oh, we're entrepreneurs flying a plane and changing the engine mid flight, you know, while it's flying. This other one's a little bit more drastic. Like you're jumping without a parachute. I got it. Well, I mean, that was my case, right? I became an entrepreneur because I couldn't find a full-time job. I didn't know how to become an entrepreneur in Boston. I had no connections, no network, nobody really. But I tried a bunch of things. I failed. I actually, here's an interesting story. I launched a pay-per-view movie service called Eurocinema in 1997. And I was streaming art house films online, renting them for two ninety-five buying rights for movies from Europe so that I could stream them online. And, and I had two guys I was working with and the Boston Globe interviewed me and said, who's ever going to watch a movie on their computer? 
Like that's just never going to work. And this was before there was Hulu, Netflix, any e-commerce platform. And of course we failed because we were way ahead of the time, but all of that taught me that, you know, even if your idea feels like it's way out there, you know, try it, pursue it. And if you fail, it's not the worst thing in the world. And that's what led me to Argus, the company I, I ran for 20 years. So it's like the path is never a straight path, at least not in my experience, but you have to be open to possibility everywhere and find that possibility, you know, when it's right in front of you. Yeah, it was just, this is amazing. I'm going to send this podcast to a friend of mine. I was talking to someone I've been mentoring that started a company and he's like stuck, right? And like, what should be the next step? Because he's not quite sure. And, and I'm like, you got to do something. You got to try it. You got to launch it. And I think what you did there, it's like, you had no idea if it was going to work, but boy, was it right on the money, right? And it's like, of like streaming videos, getting rights, and you went and got those things, right? Like, I don't even know how to get the rights of a thing, right? But you figured all that out and you did it and you launched it. And it was not a failure because it led you to start something else. Tell me about your company. You, You started a company, Argus, called Think Argus Now. What was that like? VC, bootstrap, you know, client supported, your own money, sleeping in the couch, garages. What's the story there? Well, the story is that I met a guy who was a graphic designer and he was thinking of starting a graphic design studio. And this was after Euro Cinema was just shutting down. And we started thinking like, what about if we you know, collaborate? So he was creative. I was more on the management side of things at that point, I thought. And so 20 years of working really hard, bootstrapped. Uh, we didn't really have any VC or investor money. There were no accelerators or incubators back then. So you really had to figure it out on your own. And, you know, slowly, gradually, we built our business around the quality of our work. And for us, it was really important because he's Argentinian, I'm Venezuelan. We were two foreigners building a company with English as our second language. So even like making sure that our grammar was right when we sent out emails, making sure that we didn't have any typos as we were you know, putting things together. Because we felt like we were being scrutinized more heavily just by virtue of being Latinos with English as a second language. But we were also very clear we didn't want to be hired because we were a Latino-owned company, right? So somebody could check off the box and say, hey, we hired an MBE and, you know, that's fine. So that was really like the impetus of making sure that our work was top-notch, that we had great quality, and that we, you know, clients would want to refer us to others. And that just helped us build the business. And most of our initial clients were in the government space, so doing a lot of work in public health, which sort of got me on that path of healthcare, public health work, and mission-based work that I'm so passionate about. It is wonderful to hear, right? I mean, I got to give you like this so many different perspectives. My perspective when I came here was like, get a job at McDonald's or get a job at the post office. And and you were like, we have to win by our quality of our works to these clients and we're going to charge our money. And like, I commend you for that because you were like so much farther ahead. Like I was focused on like, get a job in this country. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it's a, it, which, which put me well, down I, the path I, to get a job. I got a job at IBM, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I mean when you seize opportunity everywhere. It's like, that's where you started. That's where you, you know, find your path and what I call flow and, and just go with it. Flow, flow, floetic. I like it. Poetic. And yeah, I know. And you being able to spot those trends, right? Not everybody understood the web at that time. I remember in college, 
forcing everybody to use email and to go to the library and log in into the terminal. And they were like, why? Just leave me a voicemail. You know, leave me a voicemail. Just call me on the phone. Well, you'll appreciate this because literally after I graduated from my master's program, I got together with a couple of designers to sell website design services back in 97. And we were like, of course, you know, you have to have a website. Why not? And nobody would buy. People were like, why would I need a website? What's that going to do for my business, for my organization? Like, we just don't believe in that. So obviously, we just couldn't make it work. But it's just in hindsight, when you think about it, all the different things that give you signals that, you know, there's something here and people ignore it. And then you realize, oh, we just missed an opportunity. So that's why I'm always really anxious for, you know, young people who are starting off, like, don't say no out of the gate, right? Like, just be open and think about, you know, what are the possibilities and what can you make out of whatever circumstances you're dealing with? No, amazing, amazing. And I feel like, you know, I jumped into so many things, but it's like, I'm looking at my questions. It says, give our listeners an overview on who you are, where you're from and what you do. And just like, I just jumped into a million other questions. So you did Argus 20 years, you're CEO now. How did that happen? I sold my stake in the company. I decided it was time for me to try my next. Building Argus was remarkable. It was great. But I was just at a point in my life, I was about to turn 50. And that's a milestone age, you know, birthday. And I thought, you know, this has been amazing, but I want more balance in my life. I want more flexibility. And I want to focus really on a segment of clients that aren't being served by large agencies. And I don't want to have overhead. I don't want to have full-time staff. I want to do this in a different way. So I built Floetic with a model of collaboration and with independent collaborators that I bring in as needed. And they're all intrepid, savvy, like super committed and bring different skill sets. So I bring the team, assemble it for whatever the client needs are versus trying to fit a staff to meet the needs of a client. So it gives me a lot of versatility to work with clients across a lot of different you know, issues and causes that I care about. I love that. I love that. You know, I think that you're a role model, right? To be like jobless with a degree and you start a company and you put in the time, right? A lot of people want to be successful, want to be able to do things, but, you know, don't want to put the work. I'm on the hard side of that, right? I'm like, I tell people just got to work. This doesn't come easy. Like, you know, I've been working since 17. I'm 47. I've been working for 30 years nonstop, right? And I like what you've done, right? That you put yourself in a position now where you understood that you wanted to work the way you want it with the companies, with the customers, with the nonprofits that you want it, right? And the collaborators and work your way and be independent. And that's such a great thing that I think people should aspire to figure out in their lives, right? Tell us more about like what brings your joy there, right? In your job today and the kind of impact that you can make. Teach us how to make impact. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think you can make impact in so many different ways. I'm very passionate about equity and about racial and social justice. It's been really core to my being, my DNA. And so I work with clients who are in education, healthcare, workforce, economic development, all trying to drive change and create, you know, a real positive impact in the communities across the state, primarily, because I work mostly with Massachusetts based clients. But you know, I think even if it's moving the needle and increasing Latino representation in schools, that's a big achievement. So while I'm passionate about Latino issues, I work with clients across all different types of communities. And it's really just about helping people tell their story, tell it convincingly, tell it well, and gain support 
and participation so that they can move their missions, their causes forward in whatever way they can. So for me, that's the reward. That's where I see the impact. I love that. And I also feel like you do it not only with the nonprofits, but you do it with individuals too. Now, a few good friends of mine that I feel like you dedicate time in mentorship and availability. And you are, from what I know, you're a great human being. And I, I love that that you do that. Well, thank you for that. You know, I believe in always, you know, being open and extending a hand to someone to help, you know, kind of open doors and make connections. It's like, I really resent leaders who become so kind of closed in and forget where they come from, and then don't help others sort of, you know, get access to connections, opportunities, mentorship. So I, yeah, I do believe in just helping young up and coming leaders who are committed to doing good stuff, do what they can to succeed and, and learn and connect. Yeah. And I love seeing that, right? It's like when younger people come up and I feel like they have the similar desires that you have and like that raw talent or that commitment to the community, to the arts. And they're like, and they see themselves in you, right? And like, it's just great to see those connections because sometimes people are like, what do I want to do? And people don't know, but it's always there, right? It's just like, we just have to figure out how to see it. Yeah. Give it a little nudge. Yeah. You're making me feel bad. I wonder what am I becoming because it's like, it's hard to talk to everybody. Like, you know, it's like not trying to sound like a douchebag, but it's like, it's a lot of people want to have time. And I like quality relationships versus like sporadic advice, you know, like bursty. I kind of like to dive in a person and just stay closer. And so it's like, I can't say yes to people because of that way I think about commitment, you know? And like, I call my friend, like I said, that he's starting a company and we hadn't talked in a few weeks and I call him and I'm like, get to work. What's happening? Tell me. Right. And I'm a hard ass when it comes to advice, but, uh, but I call him, you know what I mean? It's like, cause I want, and then, and the person's like, why don't you help me? Like, help me get me out of this thing. Right. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Right. But I'd rather go deeper than depth versus breath. Right. But I feel bad to the people that I don't respond or I say no to. Right. Yeah, but I understand. I hear you. Like you want to have an impact. And if you spread yourself out too thin, then you won't be able to really support in a way that feels right. And that to me is also important. Like uh, I serve on a number of nonprofit uh, boards and I spend my time between my work, my philanthropy, my board involvement, and then the few handful of people that I really care to build a long-term relationship with. No, thank you for doing that. Tell me a little bit about your own boards, right? You, what do you need to do to get to be in them? What do you get out of it? What do you give? What is the sacrifice to be on these things, right? Tell us, so educate others so they can maybe see opportunities they have. Maybe we need people in the community joining things, right? Yeah, and that honestly was part of what I started when I first got to Boston was like, you know, I, I don't know people. I don't have a network. And I joined the board of an organization called La Alianza Hispana. And it was a community-based organization. And all I had to contribute was my understanding of communications and marketing. And, and that was good. I was able to provide some advice and some guidance. But it taught me about what it means to be on a board is having an opportunity to be at a table, to be able to share your perspective and help shape policies or shape strategies that have an impact in the community. So most of my board work is in nonprofit boards currently. And I had to cut back because I was on way too many. And I was just like, I was going crazy. But now I'm only on the, on the board of the Boston Foundation, which is a community foundation for greater Boston and the board of the Blue Cross Blue Shield 
of Massachusetts Foundation. And both are really committed to equity. So I am at the table. I bring the Latino perspective, which I think is so important to have at all of these different tables of decision making and influence to bring ideas, to bring solutions and to make sure that our voice is being heard and that we are part of the dialogue and the conversations and that things are not being said about us without us being there. So that to me is why I join these kinds of boards to have direct influence on some decisions that are going to impact the community. Maybe not me directly, but the community at large. And that requires time, that requires commitment, that requires, you know, speaking up, not taking a seat and not saying anything. And for me, it's not about fame. It's about, you know, am I making a difference? And I care. So that's why I do it. And, you know, it's it's rewarding, it's challenging, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. How would you classify yourself? Are you diplomatic or are you the table pounder? Like, I would think it's just a hard role for us as Latinos whenever we have to speak up and fight, you know, I think for equity, you know, it's like, it's like we can go emotional, but people get upset. We're too aggressive. We're too passionate. How do you balance that at boards at this level, right, that have so much money, so much impact, so much visibility and so many people from the old generations, you know, from different sectors or ethnic groups that are just unaware or not, don't know yet, like, you know, how to handle this flux and incoming of needs and injustice or inequity, right? Yeah, that's a great question, Elias, because it's something I've been learning over the years, right? And to me, it's like being knowledgeable about the issue. It's being firm when you need to be firm, being open to ideas, but don't stand back if what you're, you know, representing or what you're trying to argue for is grounded in reality and facts and issues that are important to elevate. People describe me as being firm, balanced, and kind. And I'm like, okay, I like that. That is my approach to things. And I don't take no easily if I can continue to push. But you also need to understand where other people are coming from. So like understanding what their motivations are is really helpful for me to make a counter argument. So I listen a lot and I don't jump to conclusions. I really listen and hear what people are saying, understand their motivation, why they're asking a question, not the question itself, but why are they asking the question? And then I can jump in with my thinking and my rationale. And, you know, that's sort of something I've learned over time. It wasn't something I knew how to do, but you kind of, it's like that muscle that you have to practice. Yeah. No, I will never, no matter how much muscle uh, I spend exercising, nobody's going to call me firm, balanced, and kind. You know, they're giving me other words. Definitely, I don't know about the kind one or polite. I can see it, though. I can see it in you. Those are definitely three great attributes, right? And, And it's good to have you there. And you're committing time that it's a lot of time, you know, that takes you away from family and from work and from life. But I appreciate more and more, I, I get to interact with people doing this stuff because I kind of like been on the for-profit aspect of things. I just work, work, work. I'm a workaholic, right? And watch people give their time and sacrifice their time for the community. As I've learned in this podcast and people I'm getting to know in organizations, it just teaches me so much and I respect it and I appreciate it. What does Samar would do outside? I mean, like outside of work, outside of all this stuff, right? 
Well, I'm now involved in another initiative that I'm really excited about. And this is another one of my philanthropic volunteer things, which is launching a statewide coalition of Latino leaders to advocate for Latino representation and economic empowerment for our community in Massachusetts. And I got to name it Unidos in Power. And it's really about the strength we have as a Latino community in terms of our representation, our potential, our numbers, our youth. And really driving that message so that all the work that I've been doing all these years kind of coalesces around this idea of like, let's unite, let's come together and really advocate for the community as a unified force. A lot of us have been doing it independently, all by ourselves, sometimes being the only one in a room, the only one at a table. But just imagine the strength of all these voices coming together and advocating on issues that are important to the community, whether it's education or healthcare or workforce development. So I'm excited about that. We're just starting and trying to build this coalition. So that's one of my volunteer things. But then I also like to practice yoga. I became an abuela, Elias. I'm a grandmother. Wow. So I have a little grandson who's 16 months old, and that brings me so much joy. So, you know, it's all the heavy stuff that you deal with to try to make a difference in the world. And then you cuddle up and snuggle up with a little baby, and he's your grandson, and that's magical. Wow. I'm chasing you. I'm like, you know, we're similar, but like, yeah, you move fast. I'm like, yeah, I have, <laughs> I have a 20-year-old and she's a co-op in software right now. And so she's working full-time while she's going to college. And so I'm excited, but no, no babies yet, but hey, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's, it's, well, it's my next- well, she's my stepdaughter, so I, I don't have kids. So I skipped motherhood to become an abuela. So it's just like, I skipped that whole phase of motherhood, but now oh. I get to be an abuela. So good. So good. I cannot wait to be like, I wish I could have skipped that. You know, it's like, well, it was, it was, it was yeah, three of them. No, I love that. So tell me about Unidos Empowered. What does success look like? What are examples where you can see this power unify, like making an impact? I mean, what do you want to change? Well, you know, we're starting and we're building and, you know, part of this is building trust within other community leaders. There's 12 of us on the founding steering committee representing different age groups, sectors and Boston and Western Massachusetts. But we know we need to increase more representation around age and and race and have a really representative steering committee that can help address some of the issues. But success would look like if there's a piece of legislature or if there's an issue that's affecting the community that we can rally together as a coalition and push and advocate and call representatives, get involved, you know, get engaged to have our voices heard and to see our Latino community thrive and have more equitable access to healthcare, to quality education. Like that's what success looks like. But I feel like a lot of us are doing things on our own. And if we have such incredible numbers in Massachusetts, 13% of the population and growing. What just, you know, what we could do if we could bring our voices together and really support organizations that are doing the work on the ground and help move needles and move and create the change that everyone wants to see happen, but not feel alone and that you're you know, fighting the uphill battle on your own. Love that. So it's to influence the government in Massachusetts, right? To help and benefit. Influence government, influence corporations, you know, influence business, like, you know, representation on all levels and really thinking about more in the, you know, advocacy and policy. This is not about providing direct service, but supporting and giving, you know, that civic muscle, putting it behind organizations that are really doing the work. 
and doing it a unified and coordinated way that makes people pay attention and realize, oh yeah, you know, Latinos matter and we can't succeed in Massachusetts if, if Latinos don't succeed. That's I the bottom it. line. The more muscle we can put in that, the better. I mean, it's something that I kind of like, it might be silly to say, but like, I feel like I just worked really hard always and more recently starting to realize the power of the network. Like, you know, I just kind of like just grinding, you know what I mean? And then you realize, wow, it's so much easier when you make a phone call. Like, I think I heard that from Nicaragua, right? Because in, in Nicaragua, everything is that way. You always like, have so-and-so call, have so-and-so do this, have so-and-so, do you know the right person? And I kind of had that, but then when I came here, I kind of like forgot about it. And it's like meritocracy, you work, you receive. And so like, and then realize, no, it's the same everywhere, right? And we don't have the connections, right? And so especially Latinos, right? Blacks, right? Don't, they're missing that, right? That ability to influence the right person to make the call, to risk their authority and their reputation for us, right? And so I think that if I know the people, we have the top people in this organization in the community here in Boston that are well connected, and I'm glad that you guys are working together, right? Let me know how I can help in that because we got to have ways to short circuit this. We can't just keep working hard because I think Latinos have been working hard for too long. Well, I mean, and Latinos are the economic engine in so many ways, right? In terms of the workforce and the age. And so we just need to unify and come together. And I do think, you know, to your point, the network is so important and that social capital that we don't have as immigrants when we come here. We have to earn it. We have to build it. We have to struggle for it. It's almost like, you know, rascar las paredes. You're like just trying to build whatever you can. But once you have it, then making really good use of it is so important. And I think people are, are ready for more collaboration, more partnership. It's just, I think the way it should be, and I'm glad to see that, you know, there's a group of us and the group is expanding and we're all trying to do, you know, for the same goal. Yeah, it's hard. And we need someone like you that is firm, balanced and kind to keep the group together, because I think keeping groups together and aligned and collaborative requires a special skill set, right? It's like, I'm not good at that. I'm more like command and control, right? And so I like your collaborative aspect because... You know, people are doing it on their own time, right? And they just, they have a heart for it, but everybody thinks different. It's just hard to keep people, you know, <laughs> rowing in the same direction. And you all have different priorities and different times and things like that. But if there's one common value that everyone shares, let's all push towards that value. And then, you know, there will be differences. And one of the things that we've all said is like, we have to give each other grace, right? Like you have to give each other grace. You can't be 100% every day. You can't be 100% all the time. So give each other grace. We all believe that we have to allow the process to unfold. And so, you know, that's been a learning for me that, you know, that give each other grace. I think it's so important. Yeah, I love that wisdom, right? That's definitely a well of wisdom right there. It's, <laughs> but it's so valuable, right? I, I think pe most people don't really understand the meaning of what you said. Like, it, it's so deep what you're saying of like in relationships and in work and collaborative and in nonprofits to just understand that people are not going to be a hundred percent what you want them to be, you know, and that we just have to be graceful. Right. I'm learning that. I just constantly reminded that like I have friends that I so amazing, but they're annoying me. There's so many things that bother me, but 
they love me and they think about me and they care about me. And, and so I have to be graceful and overcome those things because yet that person loves me, right? And and I should love them back. And it's, it's like, it's something that is, um, it requires a lot of years of experience to get to that level of wisdom. You're unlocking level nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like your own video game, right? You just unlocked a new level. So just yeah. go through that door. I appreciate those things because before you were like, I'm like, you know, ah, you're not doing what I need you to do. Or you're not acting the way I want to. Like, no, you know, it's like, it's hard, right? It's like, we need to be more patient, more graceful with one another. Thank you, Samawa. This is awesome. Thank you for taking some time telling your story. I know you're not the TikToker telling every day your story on the social medias out there. Well, thank you, Elias. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and thank you for doing this and thank you for everything you do. And I hope we continue to cross paths and collaborate in other things. Absolutely. And teach me to be balanced, kind, and... Firm, balanced, and kind. I, you're kind, at least from you know what I know. You're kind, you're firm, and you're balanced. So go for it. I don't know about balance. I, my partner, David, always says there's no such thing as balance. It's like, you know, it's one day I'm like this, you know, one stage in our lives we're on this way, and then the other stage of our life we go the other way. It's It's kind of like hard to be spread thin and just be perfectly trying to do everything right but balance can also be how you hear and accept others and find balance in what they're doing and what they're saying and sort of being also that mediating voice could also be a way to find balance look at that we get to see the balance in action just you just balance me <laughs> thank you so much Samawa. i hope people enjoyed the podcast I hope people look up Unidos Empower and you're in Boston and people should get involved and, or if not, create a similar initiative in their states, you know, or in the whole country. Great. Thank well, you thank you, Elias. Take care. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.